Hey, it's great to be with you all this weekend. Thank you for having me. Am I supposed to stand up here? Is there a rule about this? Are you all singing afterwards? Yes, we are. I bet I can do this. Uh, it's great to be with you. I will introduce my family of the weekend. My wife is back there. She can turn and look at Marissa, and Marissa can wave at you. Marissa, uh, graduate of Ole Miss, has her master's in English, her also undergrad in English. She was an REF intern. Why do I say that? Because later this weekend, I'm going to give you a chance to think about being an intern. Part of my job is to help recruit people to be intern. Do we have an intern here? Where? There's my intern, yes. Where's my other intern? Oh, I only thought I had one here. I don't know which one I thought I had. But anyway, uh, if you want to be them, we'll talk about that sometime tomorrow. Uh, it, it is wonderful to be here. If you have a Bible, you can open with me to Genesis chapter 3. I want to talk to you this weekend about repentance. Uh, and it, I'm going to probably, um, I, I, not intentionally, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to sort of shy away from a really hard definition of repentance. Because there's a way that we talk about repentance uh, which actually destroys the repentance you're after. Um, I I really want to put before you, especially tonight as we consider uh, Genesis 3, how repentance is really um, you're giving up. It's really letting go of who you are. It's letting go of your unrighteousness and your righteousness and looking to Jesus to change you. Um, uh, and as we come to this, I'm going to read Genesis 3. And for some of you, I'm, you know, I don't know you, and that makes it sort of easy to preach and hard to preach. makes it easy to preach because I can say anything and then, you know, I don't know you, so I couldn't be talking to you. So I might be right or wrong. It makes it hard because I don't know how you think. So some of you, when I open up Genesis 3, think, I'm not sure what I think about Genesis. I'm not sure if I think it's history. I'm not sure if I think it's lunacy. I'm not even sure it's worth reading. Uh, Are Adam and Eve real figures? Uh, Are they credible history? Some of you, immediately, if somebody says the book Genesis, you think sort of evolution and creation. And I'm simply going to say those are legitimate questions. And you need to decide, you need to investigate what you do think about Genesis. But I will tell you this, if those are your questions, you're not really listening to Genesis. Its intention was not to help you to decide about sort of the role of creation and evolution in history. Its goal is really to introduce you to you. The reason the Bible goes out of its way to talk about Adam and Eve is because it thinks that you are just like Adam and Eve. In fact, it knows you are just like Adam and Eve. And that's what I want to convince you of tonight. I want to convince you that when we look at Genesis, we see how you were created and what that means for you. So let me read Genesis 3 beginning in verse 1 where it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat 
from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and also pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she, gave, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is this you've done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you've done this curse to you above all the livestock and all the wild animals, you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful tool you eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles. For you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat, eat your food until you return to the ground. Since you were taken, since you were taken, since from it you were taken, uh, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Amen. Grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask God to teach us His word. Jesus, there are many ways that our hearts and the devil would seek tonight to keep us from hearing you. Our own hearts would like to find many excuses not to bow down to you, Jesus. And not to acknowledge that you are the King of kings. Not to acknowledge that you created all things. Lord, open our eyes in the midst of our sinfulness. Jesus, the devil would like to come and snatch this word from us. And it would give us many excuses in our minds and experience not to listen. So for all of the classes and all of the anxiety and all of the pain that comes in our lives, that keeps us from you, Jesus, and from your word, remove that now that we might understand, that we might grow, we might behold marvelous things in your word. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Um, I've spent, uh, I'm 43, uh, 43, is that right, Risa? 44? 43. I'm 43. Yeah, 43. Uh, it's coming, folks. Right there. 43. Uh, I started running when I was 16, and I've been running ever since, literally. 
Right now I have Adidas, neutral cushioning shoes. Run about 20 miles a week. Here's what you see. It's done nothing for me. Uh, I was at the beach, and my sister-in-law, Polly, was saw me coming back from her hunt, and she said this. It was really awesome. She goes, you can't run from genetics, can you? And, I mean, she's dead on. If you look at my dad and you look at me, I'm not, I need, I, it's just time to quit. It's not that my dad's ugly. It's not that I don't mean my dad looks like me. I've run. I've Pilated. I've yoged. I aerobicized for a while. Uh, I'm deeply attracted to PX90, whatever that commercial is on television about all these shapely California models, guy models getting in shape. But the fact is that I am my father's son. I am bald. I pooch pretty badly. I'm within a quarter inch of his height. Um, I mean, this is it. I, I, can, I have this picture of myself, and then there's this. And it, essentially, what the Bible is trying to convince you of tonight is that you're in the same boat I am, just not physically. The Bible is coming to say to you that you have spiritual ancestors and they're Adam and Eve. And that those spiritual ancestors have genetically created you in a certain way. And then unless you really sort of embrace that, unless you really admit who Adam and Eve are and, and what they did, you'll never understand yourself. Uh, you'll be angry with yourself. You will run from yourself. Uh, you'll, you'll destroy yourself. You'll destroy every relationship you've ever longed for. And so what I really want you to see tonight is why we need to talk about repentance. What I'm trying to do tonight is really set a stage for why you and why I need to think about this idea of repentance. So what I want, to, I want, you, what I want you to see tonight is the truth about sin, the truth about us, and the truth about Jesus. The truth about sin, the truth about us, and the truth about Jesus. And what I want you to see in this text, first of all, is that we hate God. And now I want you to notice that in this story we're told, you know the story well, but you discover in this story that Adam and Eve are struggling with what God has told them. And so we see that the serpent comes to the woman in verse 2 and says to her, uh, I'm sorry, verse 1, Did God really say you must not eat from the, any tree in the garden? And the woman said, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you will not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. And then this is how the text reads. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And then notice this, she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now some of you, completely, completely fair, going, this is a lot about the woman, is it her fault? I mean, what about the man? Stop. It's a great question. We're not, that's why you have a campus minister. That's not the point. I mean, it's a legit. Me, it's a legitimate question. That's, the point is, Adam and Eve are standing together. That's what the text says. They're together, standing there. The serpent, instead of addressing the man, chooses to address the woman. So you really need to struggle not with the woman or man, but why does why does the serpent choose to address the woman? But what we see is he convinces them. Notice, 
She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it also. See, that serpent convinces them to ignore God's Word. It's sort of stunning, and I want to say this very clearly, that the beginning of repentance for all of us is dealing with God's Word and the fact that we hate God's Word. Adam and Eve made us despisers, rejecters, ignorers. You choose your language. But Adam and Eve created in every one of us, by the fact that we're humans, a suspicion, a dislike, and a rejection of the Bible. All of us, just by our birth, are haters of of God's Word. But come on, you know this... If you reject somebody's word, you're not just rejecting their, you know, the word, you're rejecting them. It's not simply that Adam and Eve and you and I hate God's word, we hate God. I mean, they saw that the food was pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. What were they saying? They're saying what every one of you says every day. God has good things for me and He's purposely keeping them from me. God does not want me to have good things. Now, most of you wouldn't be sort of honest enough to admit that, but I can. God, God keeps good golf games for me. I want to be a better golfer. God, keep, God keeps it for me. I want to be happier. God keeps it for me. If God, would, if God would give me this, if God had made my wife a better wife, I'd be happier. can't believe I said that out loud. Why well, I might as well say that out loud. I thought it. My wife has thought the same thing. If, if God had given me a husband that would take the trash out, I'd be a happier wife. If, if my husband loved me, we both think this, can you admit that many of your thoughts revolve around this? If God, I would be happier. See, in essence, you're just like Adam and Eve. You're seeing something you're wanting, and you're saying God is keeping it from me. Why? Because you're a God hater. The essence of our hearts and what I'm, trying to, what I'm trying to teach you, what I'm trying to show you, where I'm trying to lead you this weekend will make no sense to you unless you recognize this about yourself. I'm not going to trip over the wire. Everybody says, well, he's going to trip over the wire and kill himself. But I'm not. Because you hate God. You do. Now, if you're a Christian, and got to be some Christians here, you're thinking, I mean, I used to. But, you know, I'm a Christian. You have the Holy Spirit, but you have a sin nature. I mean, Galatians is clear. Your natures are at war. The Spirit wages war with the flesh. And there's a part of you that is still bent this way. Now, I went to Covenant Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. And if you go to Covenant Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri, you got a couple of grocery shopping options, but I chose Schnooks. Um, sort of a cool name. Um... But I went to the same schnooks every time. And I don't know how this happened, but I basically, like six or seven different times in my three years, I got stuck with buggy 17. Now, obviously, if I know it's buggy 17, there's a story, right? So here's a story. Somebody had run into buggy 17 and damaged buggy 17 for life, but not enough to take buggy 17 sort of out of service. So, you know, when you pulled it, it was already bent. But that wasn't the problem. The problem is, it went right. Always. So, some of my experiences were buggy 17, is I actually did knock over the green bean display. It, you know, it was at the end, and they sort of stacked it, you know, 
two for whatever. So you're reaching and you push and it turned. Pow. I punched a hole in a cereal box, you know, reaching down for something and it goes and... Uh, it sort of got to be a challenge. I sort of went looking for Buggy 17 after a while. You know, sort of me versus Buggy 17. <laughs> the lowest moment of Buggy 17 in my relationship uh, was not when we broke up, actually, but uh, when I took a hammer and tried to straighten Buggy 17 out. <laughs> I took it out in the parking lot. I hid behind it. <laughs> it, it, I, it had some effect, but I think we had basic structural damage couldn't be dealt with. Uh, I, you know, a lot of things I can say this weekend. Some of it uh, you won't understand. Some of it I'll be unclear on, un, very unclear on. But I, I can tell you this: you will make no sense to you, and you will make no sense to anyone else until you see that you are bent against Jesus. You will make no sense to yourself. You will not be able to interpret your life. You will not be able to understand your desires or longings. You will not understand what you're doing until you understand that you are bent, that you hate Jesus. More than that, your relationship with your career, your relationship with your roommate, your relationship with your parents, your relationship with your friends will continually frustrate you. Until you understand that you're bent. See, if you're honest, most of you understand your your friends are a little bent. Oh, come on, be honest. Nobody, nobody, not one of you sits in there and goes, you know, my friend's pretty strange and weird. I'm glad I'm not that person. That's exactly who you are. You judge your friends. But what you've got to see is that you're bent. You're lost. You hate God's Word and you hate God. Let me give you two basic sort of uh, applications to this. Uh, You hate what God says about sex. You hate it. I mean, again, I don't know you, so, you know, I'm free to say this. But you hate what God says about sex. You hate that God says man and a woman should abstain from basically any form of sexuality until they're married, and then they should just be sort of a couple committed to one another. Now, everybody's like, is he talking to me? I don't even have a boyfriend or girlfriend. Well, see, you hate God in that. If I, Your generation not only hates God's ideas about sex, you hate God's ideas about marriage. It's funny, you hate Him on both ways. You hate it coming and going. You hate it both ways. You hate this idea of getting married... Many of you struggle with this idea. You're resistant to it. You're scared of it. You're convinced it will steal your joy. And yet others of you give yourself to the most intimate idea in marriage, even right now, with no intention of ever really knowing that person. You hate God's ideas about sex. You hate them. You hate God's idea about money. You hate God's ideas about money. You know why I know that? Because I hate God's ideas about Here's God's ideas about money. Get it, give it all away. He says that several times. You know, he's walked around and Jesus walked around in the parables, meets people and they're rich, and he says, they say, what we need to do? He says, give your money away, and they walk away sad. That's me. I, I get money, I want to hold on to it. I want to buy really nice stuff. I need a new driver, I need a new sandwich. I mean, my wife needs all kinds of new things. 
And we want to spend it on us. We don't want to give it away. Not one of us gets money from a paycheck. When's the last time you got a paycheck and said, let me go around town and see who I can give this paycheck to. I give a little bit here and I just throw stuff. You wouldn't do this. You hate God's ideas about money. I, I, I mean, I could sort of go on all night, but, but to start this weekend, I want to go out of my way. And I want you to recognize, I'm going to make no sense to you as we walk forward if you don't see how broken, sinful, and bent you are against God. You are buggy 17 and so am I. And that means you hate God's Word and you hate God. But that's actually not all it says here. It actually gets more interesting. I want you to see what that hatred does to you, which would be the truth about us. I want you to see two simple things. That you hide your sin and you try to cover your shame. Uh, very revealing in verse 7. Uh, it would be worth your meditation on for months. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Let's have a little humor here. Fig leaves. They're about this big and they wilt in 45 minutes pulled off a fig tree. Which means... Their solution to the problem is only 45 minutes. Now think if you had to live your life in 45-minute segments, including travel. You've got to be back to your room in 45 minutes or else all the important stuff is hanging out. Okay, This is a nightmare idea, the way they deal with this. I mean, it's, it's very ineffective. But what I want you to see is, it's sort of easy to read this and go, they were naked. This is not a discovery of genitalia. And on no level is this about genitals. They were very aware and they were very sexual before this. He knew about her. She knew about him. They had enjoyed one another in all the appropriate ways. This is a discovery, not of nudity, but of shame. Because they had sinned, because they had broken God's law. They didn't just feel naked. They felt shameful. In fact, they were full of shame. And we know this. Again, they've touched each other. We can say this. They've enjoyed it. It's not like, it's like, I don't want him to see me. I I don't want her to see me. I don't want this person to know who I really am. And so they begin to hide from Jesus. It says, um, Jesus is walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord. They found a tree, they found a bush, they laid in a ditch. I have no idea. But they hid from Jesus. They were trying to hide their sin. But more than that, they did take those fig leaves and they covered up their bodies, trying to cover their shame. I must have been a sophomore in college. Went to Clemson University from 1984 to 1988, and that sounds like a long time ago at this point. A place where they used to play football until last night. Um, I made funny, it's just true. Um, fire, Tommy Bowden. Yes. Um, came home for Christmas. You've done this. You drive home, you're hungry. You pull up, your mom and dad's car's not there. You walk in the house, there's these beautiful apples, I pull one off, chew it, spit up. Almost immediately. Now why? These are the apples my mother polished four Christmases ago. And she put literal polish on which made they stayed perfectly green and beautiful on the outside. 
and rotted into mush liquid on the inside. Thank you, yes. Wow. You know, run to the sink. Then your mother comes in. What have you done to my apple? I don't know. You've only tried to kill me, mother. No, no biggie. And you know your mother's more concerned about the way her apple Christmas tree looks than any health concerns you might have. The Bible's getting at this about you. You guys are great. Every one of you. You're great at the outside. And yet inside, we are full of shame and guilt. We are all painfully aware that we've broken God's law. Or we're painfully aware aware that we're shameful. That we're full of shame. How many, in your lifetime, I've counted this. I'm assuming most of you, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming the youngest of you are 18. So in the last 18 years, there have been, I think, 39 movies about something from outer space destroying the earth. And, and every one of these, you know, Bruce Willis or whatever is on the asteroid and he's talking to his daughter, right? And he pushes the button and, okay. Or there's, the, you know, the... They barely kick it, but you know, Washington and New York get destroyed and tell Leonie or whatever's on the beach with her dad and okay. Why? Is that, that's a movie, and the West one okay, why? We know we should be killed. I'm I'm serious about this. The movies reflect sort of a, a, a sort of a down deep get that we deserve to be gotten. Because we know that we are sinful and full of shame. We know that we're like my mom's apple. Now, I need to say this because of the subject. And if you don't have this distinction, you need to get it now. This is a free little... You can cut it out of the sermon if you want to, Jason. But there's sort of two ideas that you have to understand as, as a human. There's your sin and then there's a sin against you. So some of you sit here today, and this group isn't big enough to be completely confident of this, but I'm pretty sure. Some of you sit here today with shame because stuff was done to you. Emotional, sexual, physical, it's real stuff. You have real, you have true struggles about that. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. If you're someone who's been abused in any way, relative, neighbor, boyfriend, girlfriend, father, mother. You've really been destroyed. You may have been a helpless child when that went on. And you have you have deep shame about that. Here's what I would beg. I'd beg you to find somebody and talk about that. But it's important that you understand as I begin to make application about this, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the shame you have apart from that. I'm talking about the shame you have in and of yourself because you are simply alienated from Jesus because you have broken His law. Now, what do I mean? I mean this, girls. Why will there never be a perfect boy? And why, because there's not a perfect boy, do you spend so much time perfecting yourself? Average girl's day. If you've never heard me do this, I hope you'll enjoy it. Average girl's day. She wakes up before any other boy's ever been awake. Five-something. Networks with a few friends on Facebook. Texting. Calls her mother. Puts a load of clothes in. 
Restudies for the biology test, which all the men resent because the curve comes down more. As you study, you eat half a bowl of yogurt, half a you know, the little cup of yogurt, do some Pilates. You center yourself with some verse. You look resentful at your roommate doing the same thing because you would have worn that shirt if she hadn't put it on first. You call your mother again, and that's what you in the first 15 minutes of the day. Now it's 5 o'clock in the morning. You got up at 4.45. I mean, that's the way most women live. They do this sort of amazing amount of work. And all the guys are like, why don't you just play Nintendo and make a B? But... Uh, <laughs> So I'm going to do the same thing. Girls, what do you... See, you're trying to hide something. And what you're trying to hide is your own self-loathing. It's it's equally true for guys. It just comes... I mean, guys do it in basic sort of uh, sexual addiction and laziness. And then you've got a few sort of workaholic guys just like girls. Self-obsessed with body. Self-obsessed with performance probably self-obsessed with some fantasy their parents have about them. Why is this true of you? When was the last time you really enjoyed something? When was the last time you went to a class and thought, this is fun, not I've got to conquer this, and I hate every second of it? I mean, have you seen y'all? I mean, really, have you been on the campus with yourself? Where are you going? You know where my wife... This may be one of the best things. My wife hung her degree over the washing machine. It makes me very proud of her. Over the washing machine. Hey, back. I hope the girls are about to shoot me. I did not tell her to put it there. She put it there. And she just said, this is a good place for my BA and master's over the washer. She did all that work to wash those little diapers for those little people. My degree, I don't know where it is. Studied a lot of history. It's really wonderful. And I just drive around all day trying to figure out why Jason Sterling isn't doing his job. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I needed to make an A in, in pre-colonial history to sort of chase Jason Sterling. I mean, it's... I'm, you have to be careful with what I'm saying. I'm not... See, you can say, John's against studying. No, I'm not. I work for Reformed University Fellowship. I'm all about universities. I'm all about you learning tons of stuff. I'm about some of you finding the cure for AIDS and cancer. I'm about for some of you moving to Africa and helping them. Or move, okay, I'm all about that. But where are you going? I mean, to, I mean, y'all's lives are so complicated because you know that if you stop, what you'll discover is you, and that's the thing you're running from the most. Because you hate yourself. Because you know who you are. You're someone who is full of shame. When will enough be enough for you? I don't mean money, I mean grades. How many of you in the last month have made the A and thought, I need more? How many of you have got the person to go out with you and thought, I need more? You are full of shame. And there's nothing you can do about it. The wise ones among you know you can't. And the rest of you will get there. 
He will. And you're full speed ahead. I, I really long for you that this passage would simply stop you. I think the interesting part of the passage for me is when Jesus comes to them and they hide, they start this dialogue, and essentially the Lord finally says, you know, Adam what, Eve what, and finally he just says, this is, here's what I'm going to say about this. And in essence, he basically tells them to shut up. He sort of leaves them behind the tree and he just says, be quiet, let me speak. And this is what I want you to see about repentance in this passage. You will never repent until you stop. Most of you would like me, and I'm not good at this by the way, so you're going to be really miserable if you're really A plus student, to give you a nice sheet with what to do to repent. Here are the actions for repentance. Especially the girls would like this. Then they can put it on their mirror and feel more miserable about themselves and wake up seven minutes earlier. And if I do this, I've repented. Repentance is stopping. In fact, one of the one of the major motifs in Scripture, and this proves both that you hate Scripture and you don't know what to do with it, one of the great pictures of salvation is rest. I was driving around today, I actually freaked myself out. I was in Cincinnati this morning, which is sort of cool. I'm here tonight. I'm driving back and I thought, I just spent eight hours unconscious. You ever do this? I just freaked out right there. Like, you, know, you think you're in a room in Cincinnati, eight hours? Unaware. I mean, people could have come in. They didn't, but you know, we spent a third of our life just doing nothing. This is sort of a stunning idea. Tonight, you're going to lay there and do nothing. It's really against your whole life principle if you think about yourself. You're against sleep. You know what the the Bible says? Salvation is rest. Most of you, if I said, today, you can do nothing, would have to call your counselor or your mother. And if you called your mother, she'd have to call her counselor too. Because she wouldn't know how to help you do nothing. Have you? Ever, if I said today you got to do nothing, you would go. Ah, let me make a plan for nothing. I will do nothing, and then I'll go somewhere else and do nothing. You've got to get. You, you've got to see through yourself a hair. A repentance will mean you will never go to Jesus to be changed until you stop. And consider that what your soul longs for is rest. Which is what we see in this passage. One of the amazing parts of this passage is when, and I didn't read to the end, I'm not leaving out some important, you know, hard to understand part. It was just, verse 21, it says, The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And this is really the beginning of repentance. The beginning of repentance is Adam and Eve watching Jesus do something. Let me say that again. The beginning of repentance is watching Jesus do something. Again, when we talk about repentance, even for Christians or non-Christians, you want to know what to do. And certainly, you need to believe in Jesus Christ. But that's not my point. Adam and Eve are hidden... And God finds an animal and kills it. It's the first sacrifice in Scripture. It's a picture of the atonement. 
It's substitutionary in nature. This animal is killed in the place of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve need someone to die for them, so the animal dies, and then God makes coverings for them. And here's what they did to get the covering. Nothing. He made coverings for them. And He clothed them. I think the Bible at this point is going to have its way to say, look, you know, I don't know that, I sort of picture it speculating. He walked up and put it on him, you know, like you might put a coat on, you know, a small person or a friend. Maybe he handed and they, but the Bible goes out of its way not to tell us how it got on them. It goes out of its way to tell us that God clothed them. I want you to sort of walk into this this weekend with me. It's incredibly insecure to trust Jesus to clothe you. Seriously. The gospel makes us feel in some ways, it sort of takes this shame we have and almost replaces it with this sort of other insecurity. And this other insecurity is God made clothes with this sacrifice for us and we have to trust that that's enough for us. Now, I think the image works. If I took you in, all, in, in an appropriate way, let's just say in the same gender mall, there's a girl's mall in a mall, and, and I took you and I put you in your same gender mall, guys and guys, and took off all your clothes, and everybody else had clothes, and I said, somebody's coming, just stand here. I just want you to stand here. I'd love, it's a good, this might be a good actually PhD project for somebody, but anyway, uh, I wonder how long I could stand there. <laughs> I mean, at least I would be like, I mean, I'd be looking to see what... It would be hard. Especially if, like, there was a clothing store right here. Uh, it would be incredibly difficult to stand and wait. Adam and Eve are lost, they're full of shame, and God says, would you stand and wait for me? I'm going to clothe you. Now, I want you to notice just a couple things. That means... For repentance to begin to function in life, you have to recognize that Jesus is the one who pursues you. See, Jesus came looking for them in the garden. He pursued them even in their rebellion. Notice also that Jesus kept speaking to them. This comes back to the first point. The Word of God is central in repentance. And we'll see this later in the weekend. And more importantly, Jesus is the one who covers you. Christianity will make no sense to you. It will never produce fruit. It will never begin to produce both the righteousness you long for and the good works that the Bible calls for. You'll never begin to die to sin and live to Jesus until you begin to trust that it's God who clothes you. I grew up in a little town in South Carolina, Camden, South Carolina. I actually grew up in Lugolf, South Carolina. Unless you're from South Carolina. You got any South Carolinians? You ever heard of Lugolf? Yeah, yeah, I got some Lugolf. Yeah, absolutely. But if you're not from South Carolina and you've never heard of Lugolf, that would make you normal. Okay, uh, Lugolf is famous for... No, I don't know if we're famous for anything. I think a train turned over in Lugolf once. Uh, but why am I telling this story? Oh yeah, uh, in my little town uh, about 50 years ago... I don't remember why we're telling the story. Uh, Speaks Oil owned Kershaw County. Just owned it. If, if you bought oil in Kershaw County in the 50s, you bought it from the Speaks Company. One day the Speaks company blew up. Now the reason I know this is because Stephen Speaks is the grandson of the Speaks I'm talking about. He's the campus minister at Clemson for RUF. And his grandfather in this explosion walked out of his company and came staggering out of the fire 
was his son-in-law, his daughter's husband on fire. And so what he did was he dove on to his son-in-law, who had, and he had fuel on him, you recognize. And he essentially, which is almost impossible, he absorbed it on himself. And so that Mr. Speaks killed himself and saved his son-in-law. And when he did it, he burned out his left eye and his left lung and was still alive when they took him to the hospital. But what he did is he saved his son-in-law. What did the son-in-law do to get saved? He caught on fire. And he fell down. And he let his father... I mean, he didn't, you know, wasn't conscious. He probably passed out. He actually went on to live a full and healthy life. But it, it teaches you something. Somebody else got to save you. Somebody else has got to get on you, literally, and absorb you, absorb your sin, absorb your shame, absorb the thing killing you, or you'll die. See, Mr. Speaks exchanged himself so that his son could live. And yes, there was living, there was new life, there was new action, there were new works, but where does it start? It starts with you stopping and letting Jesus clothe you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, by your Spirit, teach us about repentance this weekend, that we might serve you and that we might know you all the days of our life. Give us sleep and rest tonight, Jesus, we pray. Amen.